0: Well, good morning. How are we doing? Well, you guys sound awesome. And first service, I stood backstage and just kind of listened to this uh, service. I got to sit out there, and uh, just sounds really awesome. Glad you guys are here today. Um, just been praying uh, for you this morning that... Um, As we talk about a story that may or may not be familiar, there will be at least a few things Jesus says in it that you've heard before. And it doesn't matter if you've been here before or you're just walking in for the very first time, but it'll be very familiar. And so I've just been praying that maybe God would prepare your heart and your mind to receive that in a way that, uh, while it's just so simple, would sound so profound. And uh, it's just an amazing thing to talk about uh, today. So excited about sharing it with you. I'm just going to jump right in this morning and not waste too much time. If you're joining us today, very first time, that's awesome. Thanks so much for doing that. I think it's going to be pretty easy to track with us this morning. Uh, even though the last couple of weeks we've kind of been talking about some similar themes, we'll wrap the whole thing up today. But we've been looking at this idea that deep down inside of each and every one of us are some certain core desires that we all share, things like uh, looking for love and a sense of belonging and trying to find some meaning and purpose and fulfillment and peace of mind and even to hopefully find some kind of a connection with God. And we've basically just been working from this underlying premise that it's my belief, and I think the Bible's belief and teaching is that it's God who really places all of those desires inside of us to begin with. And so whatever longings you might have in your life, whatever cravings is the word we're using, that might be inside of you, those desires inside of you, maybe God placed those inside of us for a particular reason. And so the question really is this. I mean, what if when I start searching for love or you start looking for meaning or purpose or fulfillment, or what if those kinds of things were in the end really A search for God? That's the question we've been posing. And so the bottom line we've been saying each and every week is this one on the side screens, which is that my soul cravings, my desires, my longings are designed by God to lead me to Him. And so in the end, no matter what it is that you might be looking for, I believe God placed that in there and then the design is to lead you To him. And so sometimes those things come in the form of a pursuit, right? That we go looking for, or you get a feeling in your life that something might actually be missing, or there's this desire that you have that you can't quite actually put your finger on it. Other times, what we want to talk about today is that these soul cravings come in the form of questions. Uh, They come in the form of questions, and they're questions about life. They could be questions about what happens after I die. They could be questions about God, things like, am I good enough, right? That's a question that a lot of us have, or have I done enough? Am I worthy enough for God to like me, or do I belong in a place like this, or do I belong anywhere in a relationship with God? And, And maybe the biggest one is really this one, which is, how does God really feel about me? I mean, that's a question most of us have had at some time and maybe even have today. In other words, am I on God's good list, so to speak, right? Does he like me? Uh, For a lot of us, we've kind of set out to answer that in a number of different ways. And some of us set out to find the answer to that particular question, if God really likes us, by um, what might be like a ledger, so to speak, right? It's like I take all the good things that I've done in my life and the positive qualities about who I am, and I place them on one side of the page. And then I take all the bad things that I've done and the the bad traits that I have in my life, and I put those on the other side of the page. And then I kind of look at them and see, well, which one do I have more of than the other one? And whichever one gets the most tallies in the end, that's kind of how it's going to go for me. we're just assuming, right, in the end that the good's going to outnumber the bad, and that's how God's going to like us. (laughs) Others of us kind of bought into this idea that the way we're going to figure out the answer is more like um, grading on a curve, right? I mean, if you can go back to your high school days, or you guys can go back to Friday, you could figure this out, how that works, right? It's like, I may not be the best person I know, I mean, we've got some really good people. We've got Mother Teresa and we've got Billy Graham and we've got Pastor Dave, who was out here a while ago, and they're on this side, right? Those are the best people we know. But then there are some really bad people we know, all right? So we're not that good, but we're not this bad. We're not Osama bin Laden. We're not Justin Bieber. We're not on this side of the ledger over here, all right? We're on that side. We're not that good, but we're not that bad. And So maybe, right, we're closer to this over here. And because we're closer to, because they're so bad, then maybe we're closer to this and God's going to like us that way. And here's what I know to be true about all of us, right, that most of us, we have this deep desire to know the answer, which is, how does God really feel about me? And the thinking goes like this, that if we could somehow get the answer to that, then we would know what it is we actually need to do in order to bridge that gap, So we're going to look at a man today who comes to Jesus with those kinds of issues. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Our ushers will bring one down and give you that. You can borrow it just for the day or you're free to take it. It's yours to keep. John chapter 3 is what we're going to read, or it will also be on the side screens this morning. But we're going to see a guy who comes to Jesus with these kinds of questions. And we're going to see in the end that what Jesus leads him to is so much different than what I thought he thought. Jesus was going to lead him to, and probably what many of us think Jesus is going to lead us to. So here it goes in John chapter 3. If you're reading from that house Bible, is page 811. Otherwise, here's what it says, verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Now that's a mouthful, but we'll come back to it. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. In other words, we we know that if we just simply followed the kinds of things that you taught, the world would be a better place. But there's so much more here. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Here's Nicodemus, right? This, This guy is a leader in the Jewish religious system at a time when the leaders of that particular religious system had lost their focus on the loving and the compassionate side of God. And they got really focused in on the rules and the laws... And the religious nature of burdening people down with what they thought it took to get God's approval. So much so that they actually made themselves to become the authority to decide who are the really good people and who are the really bad people. Who are the people that God maybe loves and who are the people that God maybe really hates? And who are the people that in the end we think are going to get to heaven because they have a relationship with God? And they put that authority on themselves. And they even did that in a way by which they created these really, really big categories called sinners that they lumped people into, just in case you had any question if you didn't know exactly how bad you were. We're gonna throw you in that category. And Nicodemus has likely spent his entire life trying to do as many good things as he possibly can do. He's memorized the Bible, He has done good deeds. He's tried to stay away from things that people told him would make God mad at him. And he puts on this appearance that he has everything together and it's perfectly fine. And yet what we're going to find out is that on the inside, he had absolutely no idea what God was really like. I kind of read Nicodemus as a guy who, if he stood toe to toe with God, like in the end and they had a conversation, that he's a little unsure about how that's actually even going to go for him. So he schedules a meeting with Jesus. It could have taken place in a back alley. It could have taken at a corner booth in the bar, some undisclosed location that 's kind of the way it reads and he does it after hours. He does it late at night. I start thinking about this you know like i 've had a number of people come by my house late at night for various reasons, and it usually comes down to one of two things on why they might do that right I think about the last few people who have come and it was either a matter of secrecy like we can't do this at a coffee shop and I don't want to be out with you during lunch or it was a matter of emergency are you with me like I gotta resolve something right now so I started thinking like what are like the last three people that have maybe dropped in on me that way it's nobody in the room thank you for doing for not doing that but a, a husband shows up right and because he doesn't know how to handle his alcoholic wife. And he just sits in the living room and he's like, I don't know what to do. I came to you because it's time that somebody else know. That's how bad things have gotten. That's an emergency. A young couple comes by to talk to my wife and I. They've been living together and they're breaking up because he had just found out that she cheated on him. And they're sitting in a love seat across the, the room from us going, we just didn't know where else to go. Or a wife and a mother came by over the holidays because she just can't handle that particular season with extended and mixed family. And this addiction that she has is calling out her name and she's sitting there going, can you guys help me and can you help me now? And I picture Nicodemus and the way it's based on this whole entire conversation that we're going to read as coming to Jesus with an emergency. And it's an emergency that he doesn't want anybody to know about. Because he's got questions that I think need to be answered. And I think if we look at the whole conversation, there are questions like this. Jesus, I have to know. And I have to know right now, am I going to heaven? I mean, I, I gotta know, have I done enough? Uh, let's talk about this now, but, but how does God really feel about me? Right, Jesus, you're a great teacher and we've been watching you and you do some cool things, but there's something different about you. Somehow you're connected to God. How could I be connected to God? And so Jesus sees something, obviously, about Nicodemus' life enough to say this much in verse 3. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Or, in other words, I'm going to be really, really honest with you, Nicodemus. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Here's Jesus going, listen, Nicodemus, I I know what you're doing here. I know why you came here. I know enough about you to know what I think your real question is, is that you want to know if you're okay with God. Here's what you have to do. You have to be born again. Now, that two-word phrase is confusing for a lot of us. And whatever idea you have about it, whether you saw it on a bumper sticker or you heard it during an election year or something like that, just set it aside for a second and you can pick it up later if you choose to. But what Jesus is saying is it's impossible for you to be connected to God, Nicodemus, unless something happens in your life that you're reborn And regardless of what kinds of images that might conjure up for you, at a minimum, let's just say this this morning, that being born again means that you get a chance to start over again. Now, if you're an English nerd, you kind of like that diving into language kind of thing, this part is going to be fascinating. Others of you, just hang on. It'll make sense, I think. But when you read the word born there, it's a passive verb, which means that somebody else did something for you, and you're the recipient. Is that, that's simple enough, isn't it? I mean, every woman in the room who has ever given birth knows that this is absolutely true, right? It's a passive experience for the baby who does absolutely nothing in the whole process, and yet they're born, right? And mom does all the work, right, mom? You did all the breathing. You did all the pushing. You did all the sweating. You did all the cussing. You did all the work, <laughs> And not all of you, I'm sure. If you here's what here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, Nicodemus, if you want to be connected to God, it's it's like that right there. That what happened to you physically has to happen to you spiritually. And here's Nicodemus going, What? I don't I don't get it. You want me to go back into my mother and I'm a man and she's gonna hate that. And this is a bad idea. So Jesus, say it isn't so. Can you, can you imagine that right now? I mean, picture your mom right now. I'm going back in there. Now, you try to erase that image for the rest of the day and see how that works for you. Here's Nicodemus. He just can't possibly comprehend what Jesus is saying. And it's understandable. Like, you have to grasp this idea that he's been raised his entire life to believe that he has to do something and the more he does of that thing, the more God is going to like him. So he's looking at Jesus going, how, how am I going to find a way to go back and be reborn and live over so that I actually have a chance to be okay with God? What do I need to do? How, how's that going to happen? And so Jesus answers him in verse 5. I assure you, in other words, pay attention. I'm still telling you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. So Jesus introduces a new element. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. And now Jesus says, let me give you another analogy. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going so you can't explain how people are born of the spirit. In other words Nicodemus I don't know if you're going to grasp this no matter how much detail I go into so let me level with you right now all right. I can't tell you what to do. I can't you tell tell you how to do it or even how it really works in a way that you're going to comprehend but being born again is something that God does in the life of a person who says I want to start over. It's not about doing more good things and less bad things. It's about the Spirit of God doing something in your life that only He is able to do. And here's Nicodemus. Well, how is this possible? Uh, What? What are you talking about? I mean, this is how faith works for a lot of us, by the way, isn't it? I mean, if you're really honest, it doesn't just naturally click for us the moment we hear it. Now, you have to understand how totally ingrained this kind of thinking is into Nicodemus and his life. He's trying to figure out how he can rebirth himself and he just can't comprehend the fact that if we're ever going to have any chance of all of connecting with God, it's going to be because God does something in us and not anything that we do for ourselves. And many of us, I think, in the room struggle with this idea because it's just so simple, that it's hard to believe it could actually be true. I think a lot of us are really counting on this same kind of idea that Nicodemus is going for, that somehow it's about what we do. And so it's about what we give, and it's uh, about how much we attend, and it's about how much we pray, and it's about doing anything and absolutely everything to get God to like us. In verse 10, Jesus replied, Listen, I really expected more out of you. You're a respected Jewish teacher, yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and what we've seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. In other words, I'm telling you the truth. I'm trying to make it as simple as possible, but you can't grasp it. You don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things like birth and water and and that kind of thing. How could you possibly possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things. No one's ever gone to heaven and returned. Now, this is a big setup for what Jesus is going to say here in just a second. No one's ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man, that's me, that's Jesus, has come down from heaven. Nicodemus, you're a really, really smart guy. I get that. You're supposed to be teaching other people this stuff, but you've studied your entire life about religion and you've missed the main thing somehow you missed God in that process and so Jesus decides he's going to give a little bit of a history lesson that might make things click for Nicodemus and he goes all the way back to the Old Testament book of Numbers chapter 21 you you could read it later if you want to it's close to the front of the Bible Numbers 21 it's a story that Nicodemus would be very very familiar with where the Jews had been slaves in Egypt and God came through and delivered them through a leader by the name of Moses. They're on their way to the promised land and yet they get detoured, right? We end up walking through a wilderness, a desert for 40 years. And because that's a long time to be walking around for anyone, people start to complain a little bit. And they start to look at God and talk to God that maybe he's just uninvolved and not interested with what's happening. And so we're out in the middle of this wilderness We're walking around, and God decides to send a lesson in the form of poisonous snakes. Go back and read it. Awesome story. You really should read your Bibles. It's fascinating. These poisonous snakes, snakes start biting people. They start getting ill, and they start to die. And when you're getting bitten by a snake, I assume, it's never happened to me, I assume you start to pray a lot, and it's what happens when a lot of us get in trouble in anything. We pray things like, well, God, we're really, really sorry. Please take these snakes away, and we're never going to do that thing again ever. And then tag it with, I'll be a missionary if that's what it takes, you know. I'll never do that again. That's what I would do. And the, 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 the result of all that was God saying, Moses, here's what you have to do. You get a, a bronze snake put it on a pole, set it out in the middle of the community, and those who are, have been bitten by it and are about to die, they can come and they can bow down, they can worship before this thing and pray, they can cry out to me and, and they would look at this snake and they would be healed. And here's why Jesus references in verse 14. He says, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, don't miss this, Nicodemus, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. There's a symbol you're very familiar with, and maybe you know what it is, maybe you don't. You can find it on the back uh, or the side of an emergency medical vehicle driving around any town. It, It looks just like this right here. It's a snake wrapped around on a pole, and it's a reference to medicine and healing. It comes from this story in Numbers chapter 21. For those of you that think we've pulled God out of society, you got Jesus symbols driving all over the county right now. And people probably don't even know what it is. And Nicodemus would have no problem believing this Old Testament story that God could actually heal people when they looked at a snake on a pole. And Jesus is saying, you know what, that thing right there that you believe, that's a statement about me. That someday, very soon, I'm gonna be on a cross and whoever looks to me is gonna be connected back to God. Now, Nicodemus Let me tell you what I think you really want to hear. And let me tell you exactly how God feels about you. The most famous verse in the Bible, most quoted verse of the entire Bible goes this way. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now I think a lot of us hear that and we say God loves the world Of course he does. That's that's what God does. He loves the world. Everybody knows that. I just want to tell you as a pastor, and I'm sure other guys in the room could attest to this, they don't know that. Everybody doesn't know that. I think a lot of us would say God loves good people. God loves nice people. God loves dressed up people. God loves spiritual people. God loves friendly people. But to say that God loves all people then is to say that God loves messed up people. God loves people with marriage problems and God loves people with dysfunctional kids. And God loves people with problems and addictions and people who have a past. And God loves people who have questions like I do. And for a lot of us to say, oh, well, God loves the world, that's just so much easier to buy into than saying, God loves me. Because that's really hard to believe sometimes, isn't it? That God loves me, that God ever loved me, that God will still choose to love me sometime in the future. I mean, maybe God loves other people in the room, but I don't know about me. You know, for the last two decades or so, I've taught this regularly. God loves you. I've tried my best at times to convince people to believe that it's really, really true. But a lot of times, I I have to admit, from a personal standpoint, I I picture God up in heaven looking down on my particular life going, right now, today, really, I think sometimes He's probably just disappointed in me. I mean, but what, what if this is really true? I mean, what if it really is true? I mean, what if God loved the world, and that really means that God loves you. That really means that God loves me. And that he actually gave his son to die on a cross so that anyone who looked to him, as he says, could be reconnected back to God, not only forever, but right now, here today. Listen, I grew up in church my whole life. Before I was even a week old, I was somewhere in the back row. I grew up there for years and years and years, And I've never really left for more than, you know, when I was in college studying to be a pastor. And so you can process that later. I grew up in church my whole life and learned the song Jesus Loves Me from as early as I can remember. I decided not to sing it for you today. But rest assured, I even know the song in sign language. But it took years for me to actually get to the point where I could allow that message to somehow sink deep inside of my heart to the point where I actually think I can believe that, that God really does love me. Several years ago, probably 10 years ago, the Passion of the Christ movie came out, and I decided I would go watch it one afternoon. I wasn't going to take the family. I'll go check it out and see what's happening. I end up going to the theater by myself, and very intense. If you've seen the movie, very intense, very detailed account, right, of those final moments of Jesus' life. And as I'm watching this whole story unfold and you get to the end and I'm going, how, how did that happen? Like, how did people just let that happen? And how did Jesus not resist? And did he, he did that for me, didn't he? He did that for you. And, and you're watching the whole thing very vividly. I remember that I, when at the end of the movie, I cannot talk for quite a while. I'm just speechless about the whole thing. Just overwhelmed by what I had really just witnessed and the truth that God loves us so much that Jesus would do that for us. That Jesus would die, right, in hopes that I would choose to receive that gift and live. And I remember getting up from my seat after all the credits had rolled, gathering myself, starting to make my way out of the auditorium, stand up, turn around, and realize I am the only person in there. And I can tell you in that particular moment in time, I think I started to believe it's personal, that maybe God really does love me. Apparently, Nicodemus didn't know this about God, that it's really that simple, that God loves you, that Jesus died for us so that we could be reconnected to God. And Nicodemus is going, well, what do I have to do? I think a lot of us hear that and we go, I love that story, but tell me, what do I have to do? And and the only thing you can actually do, Jesus says, is to believe that you can't do anything (laughs) and to trust that Jesus really has done it all for you. Believe, anytime you come across that in your New Testament, means more than just agreeing with what someone says or you know, nodding your head. Believe always means to trust in a person, to cling to a person, to rely on a person. In this case, you're believing, trusting, clinging, relying on what Jesus has done to connect you to God. The unfortunate thing for a lot of us, I think, and and it's many of us who either grew up in a church that maybe thought that was much too simple of a message, or we had a run-in with a well-meaning Christian like Nicodemus who thought maybe there needs to be a little bit more to the story, and we fell prey to a couple of things that we probably need to shake. That maybe it just can't quite be as simple as everyone who believes in him can have eternal life. Some of us bought this idea that it's everyone who believes in Jesus and then we insert a different word to go with it, right? It's everyone who believes in Jesus and works really, really hard. It's everyone who believes in Jesus and pleases God a certain way. Or it's everyone who believes in Jesus and earns his way. Then you can be connected to God. Or we bought into this other idea that's equally as damaging, which is everyone who believes in Jesus, and then some of us have been told or taught or bought the idea, that belief needs some qualifiers, right? It doesn't just mean trust Jesus. It means, well, believe in what? Everyone who believes in Jesus and believes the way I do, or believes in my list of things, or believes in and votes the way I do. And if you've ever had questions about how God feels about you, and how you can be connected to him. I want to make sure that if you grew up in church and you've been there your whole life or you're here for the very first time, that you hear it exactly the way Jesus said it and he meant it. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God loved us so much that he gave his son So that if we trust him, if we cling to him, if we rely on him and trust that he's done that, we can have eternal life. And Jesus wraps it up this way in verse 17. Let me just drive it home, Nicodemus. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world. God doesn't hate you but to save the world through him. Nicodemus, God's not out to get you. He's not out to condemn you, but to save you and do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Listen, if God didn't care about you, he would do absolutely nothing. I know for myself, I'm perfectly capable of wrecking the whole thing on my own. I don't need someone to come and condemn me. I need someone to come and save me. And God is the one who did that first. He made the first move. Before you ever did anything. And it reminds me about a situation that happened to me in high school where I thought I had feelings for a girl. I mean, I, I did have feelings for a girl. But after she swatted me down like a bad jump shot, I, I was like, I don't think I liked her to begin with. But I thought I had feelings for a girl. I'm working up the courage to ask her out. I decide I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to tell her how I feel. I'm going to put myself out there. I expressed my feelings. I think I even uh, expressed my love for her, and I waited. Will you go out with me? And, and when you're waiting like that, and if you're a guy, this is like the longest time of your life, because there's only two responses, right? It is they're going to receive that invitation or they're going to reject that invitation. And that's really what's happening here with what we're talking about today, is God's putting himself out there. He's made the first move in every relationship, and it begins with these words, I love you. I love you. The three most powerful words you could probably hear today are that God loves you. And he waits for a response. Do you receive that? Or do you reject that? Now, I don't know exactly how this conversation ends with Nicodemus. I don't know What he actually does after he leaves on this particular night, we get some hints. And I think, I believe, that at some point he comes to receive that message. We know that on one occasion he comes to Jesus' defense and supports him. And then at the end of Jesus' life, he's there at the end. After Jesus is crucified, he helps carry his body to the tomb and lays him to rest. I don't know how it ends exactly, but I know how it begins. It begins with a lot of questions. Because the faith that we're looking for, the Bible, that, that can be confusing a lot of times. So can we just simplify it to the, today the way that Jesus simplifies it? It's this, God loves you. And I know the question sometimes that I have, and I'm sure you do, is, is it really possible to know that? Like, is it really possible to know that that's how God feels about me? And I just want to say, yes, absolutely, for sure. I, I think he's proved it. The length that he's willing to go to see that you and I could have the opportunity to have a life with God. I mean, God loves us so much that he gave his son that whoever believes in him can have eternal life. Now, you're going to forget that from time to time. You're going to leave here today and you're going to go have lunch. You're going to do something else in a world that doesn't reinforce that idea very well. And so Jesus gave us a reminder We're going to celebrate communion together as we wrap it up this morning. And so our ushers are going to come down and pass it out. It's open to anybody who wants to participate. But the night before Jesus is crucified, he's gathered together with his disciples. They're sitting around a table. They're sharing a meal. He's got some bread there. He's got some wine there. And he initiates a new celebration. His disciples are looking at it going, all right, what what is this? Explain this to us. And Jesus says, all this is going to make sense to you tomorrow. (laughs) I'm going to be nailed to a cross. My blood is going to be poured out for you, not for my sins, but for your sins. But by the power of God, I will rise again. And when I'm gone, when I go back home, I'm in, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get with some other people who believe that, who trust in me, who are relying on me. And I want you to remember this. I love you. I want you to remember that when you pull back this top layer and you take the bread, it represents his body. You pull back the second layer, you take the juice, it represents his blood. That's what we're remembering. God's message. Don't forget it. I love you. I think it's probably the most powerful thing you could hear today. And yet so simple. God loves you. He loves you. I want you to just think about that. Maybe talk to God about that over the next minute. The band is going to lead us in a song here in just a second. So feel free to jump in with them anytime you choose.